work week, am I right? But do you know what would make it a little bit better? Doing church on a Sunday and then listening to a podcast about the sermon. Welcome to the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem, a production of Liberty Church Collingswood. Each week we'll spend some time unpacking Sunday sermonics, and we hope that you'll be able to connect a little deeper with the message and the messenger. It's a win, if we can make your work week a little less blue. House lights down. Welcome to the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching show post-mortem, a post-mortem <laughs> preaching show. <laughs> Everybody. Believe it or not, that's not it's not a it's not a bit. I just can't get it right. It is what it is. <laughs> as they say in uh, South Philly. This is Emily Anger. I'm here with my husband James Anger, who's very disappointed in me, but um, you know, that's what that's the things that happen in We America. can build on this. <laughs> Podcasting it's a great partners. Great place to start. I um someday we'll get that right. We'll we'll see when. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyone TPSB. Wanna, yeah, want to take bets on that one? Anyway, here we are, and I'm sitting here on a Tuesday. Uh, Happy Tuesday, happy Sixers Day, happy, I don't know. going all the way. Lots of bright, sunny day. Lots of happiness here. Yeah, Um, as long as we don't talk about the Phillies. This is not a a sports podcast. Right. I mean, what could be, I need a different host. I'm an expert here. (laughs) (laughs) Two hosts, yeah, whatever. Anyways, let's get back to this. I'm in, a, I'm in a strange mood this morning. Um, this is the podcast where we deep dive into my husband's brain, thinking about this past Sunday's sermon and trying to get um, both thoughtful reflection as well as just intrigue out of, <laughs> out of this person here. Over That's here. right. Yeah. Um, Equal and... parts thoughtfulness and intrigue. <laughs> Let's get to it. The call it Stormy Monday. And actually, speaking of getting to it, like that is kind of how you introed the sermon. You were talking about the mad scientist brain that you have, that things that keep you up at night. And I have over the years discovered that I do think you have a mad scientist brain. There are oh, things like going on in your brain that I am, we categorize as mad scientist. I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. I said, keeps me up at night and helps me to sleep, including with the keeping me up at night part, just thinking about how to do church. Uh, Contexts around us are constantly changing. Things are different now than when we moved to Collingswood to plant this church a lot of years ago. And it's part of a preacher's job to keep the ear to the ground and figure out what's going on around us and then what church should look like in these ever-changing sands of culture. So, you know, like, church not being gathered and then suddenly being gathered and people wearing masks or not wearing masks and vaccines and stuff and uh, equipment for live screaming and all those things that that keeps you up at night wheels within wheels that's right (laughs) all the way around i think it's keeping a lot of people up not the church part but the pandemic part sure yeah this is not a struggle unique to church leaders by any stretch right but just the that is the context that as we talk about why this sermon, why this Sunday, mm-hmm. you're still struggling with it. That's kind of the pandemic mode, right? We used to compare the pandemic moments to Groundhog Day, the movie. Yeah. And so we're still in a different, ver- like Groundhog Day Part 2, Part 3. Yeah, we'll probably need a different movie analogy moving forward here. So it's not quite Groundhog, Groundhog Day, but it's not quite back to normal either. I wonder what movie that would it be the best capture. It progressed forward. But it's progressing. It feels like it's progressing forward still slowly. And mm-hmm. and yet with the slowly, there's also these quick changes like you guys have to think on your feet, like 
suddenly the CDC says this, and suddenly the New York, the New Jersey mayor says, or not mayor, New Jersey governor says right. a different thing than the CDC, and then you have the church that we're renting from saying a third thing. Right. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's a clear it's a clear sign of the persecution of the church in the West that the <laughs> CDC waited till Thursday afternoon to lift its mask mandate, which threw churches across the country into a Gotta cycle think of on your fits feet, trying man. to think through what to do. Like Monday and Tuesday is great for stuff like that <laughs> from a church perspective. <laughs> Got to think on your feet. Meanwhile, they were probably intentionally releasing that on a Thursday so that companies would have time to like think about it for Monday. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. They know where their bread is buttered. Um, not with not with their nonprofits anyway. Um, but <laughs> very true. But yeah, we're I'm tangenting us a lot. But um, for real, the the context is the same. It's still going on the same. Mm-hmm. But what was what was the specific context for this sermon this week? Yeah. What was going on with First Kings 18, 20 to 40? So in the midst of shifting sands of context, there's this great Old Testament story. It's Elijah versus Ahab. Okay, prophets. you are going to the next section of our of our uh, outline, your outline. That's right. I just right. want to like highlight that. And I'm, we're, I'm fine with that, but... Yeah, no, that's okay. It's uh, We're adhering to authorial intent, according to the use of the outline <laughs> okay, right so now. Okay, so the author, author is going into oneself. the next section, Sun <laughs> well, Studios. Let's, let, let's just riff. Where we talk about where this, how the sermon gets made, and you're talking specifically about your passage, which is... Under the subtitle, I met her in church. Thank you, teacher. (laughs) I still don't know how that uh, is relevant to examining the Bible passage, but let's jump in. Right. Well, let's just go back and forth and and, and see where it goes from here. So, So there's this monumental passage about God showing up in the midst of prophets at Mount Carmel. And so the burden of the sermon was just thinking about how... In the midst of all of our mess, God still is very real and shows up in the midst of it. And as pandemic thaws, as we set new baselines with our lives, as life looks in some ways different and in some ways the same, there is still the same God hovering over all of these things. And this God isn't just a figment of our imaginations. This God is real and shows up in our lives. And I was trying to get that across this Sunday. Right. That makes sense. Um, There's many ways that it seems like we need God right now and we need God to show up and do amazing things. So Mm -hmm. I can see why that's the context for what you're talking about. Right. And this can segue into Sun Studios. I met her in church. (laughs) I we already did that. Here we go. No, we're just kind of getting back there right now. And so this is a story that's, I think, one of the better known stories in all of the Old Testament. If you've had a little bit of Sunday school or a little bit of Hebrew scriptures in your background and and if you remember when I was talking with Matt Harmon on Post Sunday Blues Preaching Postmortem a few weeks ago, Matt was Matt mentioned how sometimes it's preaching on the more familiar passages or the more famous right. passages that are more challenging because right. you know, people know it, We've there's it. less drama and fire from heaven. Right. Part of my part of my burden of the sermon this week was just not wanting to mess up a passage that's already great. Right. You better not mess this one up. Right. And you know, because the diocese at uh, of the Episcopal Church where we rent, Holy Trinity Church, there is a pandemic moratorium on fire. I thought about the pyrotechnics for this <laughs> Sunday. To, uh, you had to cancel them. I had to, I had to cancel it's all of it. We lost the down payment. <laughs> Was that the end of a joke? 
Sometimes it comes <laughs> as early. I was, as I was mm. sipping my tea. Um, right. So, yeah, it's a, it is a, it's an important story. It was a story that resonated with me a lot. It, it, it feels like it, it can go in many different, different directions as we contemplate um, how God works. Um, so tell us a little bit more about how you decided to interpret it. Sure. So you're absolutely right that stories in general and big stories like this can go in so many different directions. I think I've said before on this podcast, baby, that with with narrative, you can look at 10 different sermons based on a passage and they go in 10 really different directions. So the challenge, not only the famous nature of this passage and the dramatic nature of this passage, but also the size. This is probably the the upper limit on the number chunk. of verses that I feel right. feel comfortable and equipped to, to preach on this sermon. But it's one the last story. One too, it's one story. The past couple of sermons have been longer. Uh, I've been preaching around 30 minutes. This is 33, 34. Oh, is that why Eric made the joke about and the, uh, <laughs> your preaching time? I was uh, first concerned about, hey, am I... It's sort of like the middle-aged waistline creep where year by year I just kind of let myself go more and more. Sermons can get longer. But then I realized... I think the sermons are about the same length as before, but the time that it takes to read the stinking passage is just getting longer <laughs> and longer and longer. But with passages of this size, it's always tricky for me from an interpretive standpoint to try to keep the main thing the main thing, but then also honor details and texture of the passage too, right. where there's not just one takeaway, but there's a lot of them. How do you keep the proportion of everything? And still, I want people to walk away from sermons that I preach, whether a long sermon text or a short one, and say like, yeah, it felt like the sermon covered the passage, and I have more insight into this uh, particular set of scriptures here. Right, and as a long chunk, I could see um, maybe why you're keeping it as a whole. Do you have like, like why you don't break it up into more sections? Yeah, yeah there's two thoughts there. Good, good question. One is that it's a narrative unity, and to to break up the narrative unity just seems a little a little wonky. Uh, so it's one story. You don't tell the story of Hansel and Gretel in five different parts over five different nights to your to Yeah, your that kids. would be kind of creepy. Right. And they, they might not know that Hansel and Gretel die at the end. No, no they're saved and rescued by, uh, I don't remember. <laughs> what are you talking about? By Disney Plus. <laughs> yeah. Right. So it's a narrative unity here in this passage, but then also, and this is second, I guess, concomitant, if you break up a narrative unity into smaller preaching chunks, that increases the chances of you doing bad and wrong things with the passage, taking mm. it in different directions. Sure. So if I had if I had preached a whole sermon about the part where Elijah tells the prophets of Baal to keep filling up jars of water and put it on the, the altar before the fire comes down. Sure. It's this whole sermon about the importance of water and care for the environment and mm, right, why, right. why we need to hydrate and right. uh, how God, you know, gives... Anyway, those you are, those are facetious examples. When, when you just taste, yeah, take like one tangent from a story out of context with, with the rest. And, and again, those were facetious examples right. that I just mentioned. Oh, I imagine they're... I mean, we should care for the environment. We should hydrate, <laughs> but I'm not sure what this <laughs> passage is talking about. No hydration. Uh, it is going to be... a water fast. <laughs> it's going to be death by qualification for me in ministry. I think so. That that sounds like you. <laughs> um, yeah, but so you, you took this whole chunk and then how do you shape it? How do you, how do you make that happen? Right, so you... 
try to capture the main through line of the narrative, uh, the climax being that fire came down not on the altar of Baal, with all of the cutting, with uh, first choice, first chance, it should have been easier for them. Elijah outnumbered 450 to 1, had to rebuild the altar, the altar was wetted down, but fire came there. And, And another challenge of preaching a story like this is simply capturing the wonder of it. Yeah. So sometimes I feel like sermons, when there's something big and dramatic going on in the sermon text, it's, you know, another death by a thousand, like little details about the text. So you kind of put it in, put, it's a, you give it the wrong kind of postmortem and you take, t- take it apart to the constituent pieces, but then you lose a sense of the wonder of the whole. Right. And I think you did do a good job of trying to give us that sense of a whole. Um, the what is the phrase that you were kind of uh, God thing? Just that it was a God thing. Is that the, right? Do you feel like that's the unifying message and sense of awe that you're looking? Yeah, at? that's what I was hoping for. So one of those things where you see it at the beginning of the sermon and get back to it at the end. So I had three points in the sermon. The last one was. God does God things, mm-hmm. and that's kind of the main the main thrust of, of what we have here, right? And part of the part of the struggle of communication here, there's the wonder of it on one hand, and then also we mentioned this before on the podcast too, um, not wanting to either take a passage like this and under promise or over promise. So the over promise is, hey, God's going to do God things in your life today, no matter what you want, no matter what you need. It's right. going to show up for you, name it and claim it sure. sort of thing. But, the, but then the other extreme is, uh, you know, actually there's not a supernatural God that still intervenes in our lives. And right. so we're just, you know, deists or materialists, uh, one kind one kind or another. And so there's the Elijah story here. Do you remember the one earlier on in the Hebrew scriptures, um, Gideon, and from the book of Judges, where and he's not shoot. sure if God is real, and the fleece, yes. And so Gideon keeps putting out fleece for God to do stuff right, with, right. to kind of make God prove that he's real. Yeah. Like, that's not that's not what we, what we should be doing with a passage like this either, but we should have, I use the phrase towards the beginning, God things are expectedly unexpected in our lives, and we should look for them and cultivate a posture of expectancy towards them. Right. And that feels tricky. Um, When we move to the section muddying the waters, Mm -hmm. we're thinking about what's difficult about the sermon, constructing the sermon, what context you're trying to look at. I think that our my my brain can be really skeptical of a miracle like miracles at all. Um, So when we're looking for God and you're saying like you we're not supposed to test like Gideon did with the fleece or we're not supposed to just say burn all of our masks before we're vaccinated and say God will protect me. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, how, how do you engage, engage our current moment? So trying to press down on the idea, what if God actually is real? Right. And for me in our lives, and we'll talk toward the end of the podcast, I'm about, you know, God things that, that we have seen. It's not only encouraging and comforting when we see God show up in our lives, but it's also shaking, challenging and humbling We're like, wait a second, the stuff that we're talking about, the stuff that we're trying to inculcate with our kids, it's actually real. And there is a God who superintends over history, who cares about us so much that he's involved in our lives and he does unexpected things 
for our good, mm -hmm. that brings us closer to an understanding of the biblical concept of fear of God. Wow, this God is so good and so real and so prevenient in our lives that it should freak us out a little bit. So what if God is real? What's unique about this God? And I broke it into these three pieces. Uh, we should be exclusive in our relationship with God. Uh, God is gracious to us. And then the, and then the God things. Right. Uh, the exclusive in our relationship with God. I, I did feel <laughs> your like indication that you're having a DTR with God was making me laugh, but <laughs> that might be a tangent also. <laughs> a DTR. <laughs> Was that intentional? Never far from this podcast. Okay. From your ex with your exclusive thing, mm -hmm. like that being exclusive with God is a is a parallel to uh, this society's kind of tendency to wander and not want to be exclusive with one person. Yeah. Well. Yeah. There. There's that in terms of relationships. I think more broadly, and this is right. I didn't mention it as such during the sermon, but we live in a commitment phobic society where to sink your bid to sink your self and identity with just one thing whether it's a person in a monogamous relationship or otherwise we we don't want to do that and it's it's the age of fomo where 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 we're always worried about missing out on something else which relates as well to mixing and matching spiritualities and that sort of thing. You're smirking, and I I'm don't smirking know why. I, <laughs> I'm smirking because I am so resistant to, like, locking <laughs> down on things. But I do recognize that as a problem. So it, it, it's oh, – and it is – like, our society is is – prone to you know clicking yes i'm going to this event and then right. not actually going to the event yeah um, and i think in terms of our marriage i'm if, if i'm an over decider <laughs> where i just want to lock something in and stick with it no matter what you give me healthy balance in terms of keeping options open and thinking things through a little bit more thank you babe the, right. probably the reverse is also true but then but interesting and complex when it comes to spiritual allegiance sure. and i did try to make the point um you can tell me how this sounded in real time one of the other challenges whether this is going back to i met her in church or muddying the waters uh, like over intellectualizing a passage like this right. which i think is designed to undercut any sort of intellectualizing in the sense that God is bigger than our imagination and understanding and just shows up and rains fire, whether we like it or not in different contexts. No, I see that as a, a there's, it's not intellectualizing. Um, I'll, I do, I do note like you threw in a Shakespeare reference and a Royal Rumble sentence in one or Royal Rumble <laughs> reference in one sentence. So High culture, I, low yeah, culture. I think you're not trying to intellectualize quite so much, <laughs> but. So then th there's also the intellectualizing part, trying to go with the exclusive stuff and say, exclusive allegiance to God and Christ, Yahweh, the one true God, is not just a recent tension, but was an right. ancient one too. So talking about, you know, with Baal, you could limp around between Baal and Yahweh all you, all you wanted. And right. from the perspective of, you know, the gods of the nations, kind including Baal, that's by design kind mm -hmm. of fine. Not so in the context of Israel and the nations, not so in the context of the Roman Empire relating to both Judaism and Christianity, and definitely not kosher in today's cultural climate, but understanding that this is not a new thing and the Bible's not surprised by this eventuality. Right. I, I did like that. I mean, the girls, my boys also, but have been really into Percy Jackson the the book series right. for a while which so that's like um, ancient greek mythology updated right into right so it kind of it it is based around all these different 
Greek and Roman gods who all have different personalities. And um, it it is a sense of, there's a sense of appeal there for sure that um, we're able to just worship what we want to. But it's, yeah, the fact that it's not only now. It's yeah. really been something that's all over the place. And that even for myself as a believer that, I could see my philo- my personal philosophy is still going in all multitude of directions yeah. um, and the need to kind of um, go back and focus myself and um, recognize that there is the one true God. Yeah, I do think it's getting harder. So in more of a micro timeline, say in the 1950s U.S., where statistically there's a much higher percentage of Americans that that were churchgoers. I think the the pressures of pluralism were less felt than than they are now for sure. And we see it with our kids who are just, you know, uber pluralistic in uber pluralistic contexts and there's just all of these thoughts about life, the universe and everything mm-hmm. that if they were growing up long ago and, and even when I was growing up, I had a couple of friends who were so most of most of my friends growing up were lapsed Catholics, but 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 at least there was a Christendom mindset there. I had a couple of friends that one was Hindu, one was Buddhist, and that was definitely seen as an outlier. I think today mm-hmm. uh, there wouldn't be a majority Christendom idea, and um, you know, Hindu Buddhist is is normalized. And I think there's some like healthy awareness of pluralism and cultural growth there, but then it's a different set of implications for the gospel. But the upside here, I guess, is that as we move into more of a hyper-pluralistic context, we're actually moving closer to the context in which the scriptures were given. And so historically, it's interesting to think about how late 20th century Christendom in the West and in America, that's actually the historical outlier and not the historical norm. Right. Um, I think that context seems good. It doesn't seem over-intellectual. And then especially since you, the next category you have is um, it's God's graciousness, right? Like, right. Um, that, that there's like a grace there that we're going to, not a, not a judgment God, mm-hmm. um, but yeah. a, a, a gracious relationship. Um, do you want to tease that part out? Sure. There was a... So, Em, you spent a semester in New York in college. Sure. And you bounced between, and you came back and told me all about it. So, so, so you bounced between <laughs> a tiny Reformed Baptist church plant during that period. And then also you were attending this church plant in New York City under a pastor from New York named Tim Keller. So, so, so you were uh, frequenting Redeemer in those early days, too. And you brought back a cassette tape of a Tim Keller sermon from 1 Kings 18, 20 to 40. So I think this is not directly a plagiarism. Let's, let's hope that it's not. But <laughs> hope he's not listening. It, but, it, but I remember the point, yeah, our, our law follower. W- one of the points that Keller made, and it's been made by other people in this passage too, so I don't think that it was, you know, knock on wood, Tim, I wasn't plagiarizing, but you, buddy, steal from me all the time made the point about the prophets of Baal cutting themselves as they're going around the altar. And so it's just this idea that we see grace in the negative here where prophets of Baal relating to their God is one of self-diminishing when this God, this idol just keeps taking from them. So you need to keep giving in this sense, literally. 
a pound of flesh so that you can be secure, so that you can be accepted, so that you can get what you want, but we're actually harming ourselves. And instead, Elijah doesn't cut himself, doesn't work himself up. It's not a performative relationship for him. He simply prays and graciously God comes down. Right. And I do see that as also applying really specifically to our culture, like the pressures internally and externally to live up to some particular standard that either is in our own head or is actually societal pressure to do things. So that resonates. A sidebar to guitar slim pickings. There are a couple of, I ended up not using them because I think they're low lying fruit. And I always want to be careful not to give examples that do sound critical and judgmental, but low lying fruit or not more flagrant examples of performative ideas of achievement from like sports and dance where you have all these athletes, you know, taking steroids. Right. I'm glad they stopped once the MLB cracked down 15 years ago and <laughs> there's no more performance enhancing once, drugs. Once the Olympics. Yeah, only only with our horses apparently. So <laughs> Japan 2021, we're coming for you. Mm. So, you know, athletes using steroids, uh, dancers with eating disorders and there there's just this pressure to align but then less fragrant fragrant flagrantly in our own lives, perhaps fragrantly as well. Uh, We just press and press and press uh, to be able to achieve what we want, but we lose ourselves in the process. So, yeah, we see the grace of God in negative here. And then I wanted to come back around to say that at the end of the day, God has brought fire. Right. And this this God is real. Yeah. Um, Right. In your third part, actually, my notes start getting upside down because I was... Stranger Things, Upside uh, Down World. Yeah, and Clara was like on my lap <laughs> at a certain point. She is wiggly. Um, so I was taking notes and now I'm, now I'm looking. Um, but yeah, that God, that God does the God thing in a way that like you wouldn't, you wouldn't expect God to be able to show up in the, yeah. in the set of circumstances that they're right. are face, they, that Elijah's facing. Yeah, very true. And then one other thing that I have here from the Muddying the Water section, I don't know if you'd have more on um, But talk towards the end about, and this goes back to like shifting cultural targets and norms, how if the primary idol maybe a generation ago was achievement, now it's identity. Mm -hmm. And I think of, and I didn't mention this in the sermon, but but part of the idea behind this is there's, and you know, I can sound very much like an okay boomer right here, even though I'm younger than a boomer. boomer. I I wish I was a boomer. Those guys are awesome. Love the khakis and the wingtips. I'm there in my mind. Yep. But all these studies about, you know, how, how are millennials different from Gen X and Gen Y? How is Gen Z different from millennials? And then on the other hand, from Gen X and, and Gen Y. And all these, like, studies about the ideal job situation for a millennial versus right, right, right. previous. So I think I am a millennial. So, so pre- <laughs> Uh, previous generations, uh, it was great to work long hours. Uh, you just needed to put the pedal to the metal all the time to succeed up the corporate ladder. And then eventually, once you get there, you've achieved yeah. all of it. And I am so a millennial before you're, my time. You're, a, you're, you're, you're the ur-millennial, the, <laughs> the, the, the prototype. So stereotypically and statistically, not to say that everybody's like this younger, and, and I don't want to put you in any box because that is, that is your I'm one great fear. The... Younger people, uh, they want flexible hours. They they want more voice at the leadership table from square one. They want to, and this was before pandemic, they value working remotely. They value a high degree of freedom in terms of designating vacation days and personal days. 
And the purpose of having a career is to fuel their overall larger lifestyle and sense of identity and not right. vice versa. So in right. previous gen- and in some ways that's an improvement. Previous generations, the the lifestyle was to fund the achievement that came with the job. And right. so if there is a larger project of identity construction now, how does the gospel address that? And we don't want to be too critical, nor do we want to be too Barney-ish, I'm okay, you're okay with mm-hmm. everything. And saying that the whether it whether you're striving towards achievement or identity construction, those things are performative in a way that grace is not. Sure. Um, yeah, that, that does strike as something to kind of ponder over because I, I actually find it quite easy to knock people who are trying to achieve and just, you know, <laughs> promote the biblical You, you okay boomer me all the time. <laughs> of valuing um, God over money. But when you do, like it, it does address we do need to address the society, the new upcoming millennial mindset, which I probably, like I'm saying, have um, <laughs> to kind of question um, what our role is in society as relates to God um, as someone with those those values. Yeah, that is a title of the marriage book that we're co-offering, <laughs> Help, I Married a Millennial. <laughs> I think it's going to really, that title alone is going to kickstart yeah, let, sales. Let's see, let's see how that goes. Um, but it'll be a book on marriage that is not co-authored. Right, Those right, are the best right. kind. Let's move on though to bar band cover tunes. That you right. did have some fun ones here. I noticed that you quoted Eric Mitchell as you've been doing that a couple a couple times. Right, it was a really good sermon. <laughs> um, He's ordained now. In terms of uh, go Eric, go ordination. That's right. I'm not sure all that what ordination means, but what does ordination mean? I can't tell you. <laughs> okay. Um, and you had uh, Clara shout out what, as you were watching the MCU with Clara. What was it, Clara shout out? That you were watching the MCU with Clara. So you were when watching did I Spidey say, again. I said that during the sermon? You said, without this suit, I'm nothing. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that wasn't written in. It was a, it was an ad lib. It's in your brain. It was a riff. Yeah. Because you've been okay. watching Right. We, we, have, we have been on an epic rewatch. So this is maybe the third rewatch so is it really it can't it's, well i think it's more than third like you had depends one on how, depends yeah. on how you quantify it so another rewatch this may be the last one so sniffles and tears when with clara who was old enough to watch avengers endgame in the theater but whose memory of those earlier marvel movies were either fuzzy or she just hadn't seen them we're, we're going back and Right, which is actually kind of funny because she like will read like the Marvel encyclopedia, so she has all this knowledge, book knowledge of these of she these characters, yeah. and then she sees them on screen and she's like thrilled. <laughs> it's really funny, which is how I felt and feel. <laughs> she's also the one that's actually going back into my old comic book stash, yeah, and yeah, in ways finally. that make me nervous in terms of oh, curation, of leaving them on the floor, good comic hygiene. Stepping on, well, Ugh. I didn't actually see the stepping on, but. <laughs> Why is there a footprint on the Captain America? Okay, anyway, um, but yeah, that quote, just without uh, without the suit, I am nothing like right. Spider-Man's. This isn't a spoiler, right? Spider-Man feeling. Well, it's having, in the middle of the movie. Having to go through it's the, an act two. the emotion of feeling like he can't do things without special powers right. but yeah that's achievement and identity mentality right there right um so good good one especially if you didn't plan it thanks spidey <laughs> let's see looking through my notes what else did you reference let's see there was the josiah story about oh, the, the sweet josiah yep 
dad is dad is my special name for you he went through this phase as a toddler of calling me jim both within the house and outside of the house and uh, i had forgotten to ask permission about that until sunday morning mm-hmm. i was planning on texting him because usually or this morning that morning i was out of the house before he would have woken up but he was on sound setup mm. so i took him aside and said josiah it's totally and okay he, if you want me to do this anonymous and he was but, like dad you've told that story like a hundred times why would i care now right yeah <laughs> yeah that ship has already sailed tops uh yeah those kids stories anything else two different directions related to bar band cover tunes had, had some bible references that i that were good you for me at the least bible. so the thinking about the exclusivity of worship of god fun to go back to you shall have no other gods before me uh to me, at least, I think it's really important context to realize the original context. Right, when there were hundreds of gods. There's lots of other gods. So that wasn't given in a context like ours where, you know, people don't really believe in God or gods anymore at all. You it was to say no other a, priorities, no other yeah, political parties. Yeah, a, no other greater allegiances, no other lords and saviors. That's a good way of translating it. And I think a lot of the time we instinctively translate it that way, or at mm-hmm. least we should. But the original context was likewise pluralistic with gods back then uh same with hero israel the lord your god is the lord is one you shall love the lord your god with reference to the crucified and risen jesus uh, or sorry with all your soul and with all your might um yeah and, and then there was this quote from frederick dale bruner i'm gonna have to do some more work on this uh in coming months and years with sermons but if issues of exclusivity and inclusivity are are so bleeding edge cutting edge countercultural uh, in this cultural moment just in general so everybody's talking about like what does it mean to be inclusive and nobody wants to be exclusive mm-hmm. I, I think it's it's such a complex conversation uh the frederick dale bruner i think he's i think he's still alive he's a retired uh commentator and bible scholar long time in the pcusa in california hollywood presbyterian church which is a great old uh, Presbyterian Church talked about how the inclusivity of the of Christ in the church is related to grace, and how no matter who you are and where you are, Jesus has paid the penalty for your sins so you could come. And so there is an exclusive aspect of Christianity, but then also a radically inclusive aspect of the gospel. And for me as a gospel preacher, I need to keep thinking through how to preach and balance both of, both of those things in my teaching in a lot of different applied directions. But I love the image of the vertical beam of the cross being exclusive, but the horizontal beam of the cross being inclusive. So that's a quote that I thought about dropping because I didn't really go into a ton of detail during mm-hmm. the sermon. But I was like, Throw it in. Sunday morning, I've come this far. I'm going down with the Bruner quote. <laughs> Um, no, that does feel important just to, to recognize if you're going to use the word exclusive, just that God's grace is inclusive right. um, is an important connection point. Yep. Um, let's see. Moving on. Or actually, my last reference that I have is that uh, you were refer- – or not was not really a reference, but just that you reflected on the potty humor in the passage. <laughs> <laughs> that got Clara's attention. That was just, one of my favorite parts FYI. of the sermon. <laughs> You were correctly addressing the fact that we have no Sunday school there, so that kids are in the kids are in the audience, and uh, the fact that there was potty humor, Clara wanted to like look at the passage, like where? What? what? It was a pandemic accommodation, and and I am I do try to. So my sermons aren't radically shorter since coming back with pandemic, but it is. I am aware of the fact 
that we have elementary school students, at least for now, in the sure. room, whereas before they were in Liberty Kids. So I, I am trying to toss some bones in, in that, that direction. There you um, go. I mean, from, that's happened more and more over the time that we've been growing up we've, that yeah. kids, uh, kids shows have gotten more adults and humor so your adult shows are bending down that's right <laughs> kid humor <laughs> stooping down let's say <laughs> oh fun things well this does bring us to guitar slim pickings where we talk about any leftovers so are there any other little bits of trivia you want to throw in about so i did enjoy the potty doing? humor joke mm-hmm. and am you know well that i'm not a i'm not above a good potty humor <sighs> sadly kind, kind of joke and our listeners should know that that Emily often laughs at them. She I, doesn't often give them. I'm looking. I'm looking at Jim. I don't. I don't think that's true. I can feel it. Um, moving on. Any other leftovers <laughs> trivia? All right. A pregnant pause later. I will say that Eric Mitchell's ordination service on Sunday afternoon was really fun. And yeah, I was just thinking back over the years from our ordination. The nostalgia points. Right. 2003 so that ordination service for me was a lot of years ago but it was fun seeing eric with friends and family in town going through that same same process again yeah it's 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 a it's an interesting moment it's a it's a collection of a lot of years of work or collection is the wrong word too but Mm -hmm. the um the celebration of that and the completion aspect i'm sure it feels good for eric yeah 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 it was a long time coming (laughs) So congratulations, Eric and Carrie. Very true. <laughs> um, any last thoughts? I don't really know what Royal Rumbles are. Like, I kind of do. Yeah, I don't really know either. I just think it's a fun, <laughs> a fun phrase. Here's, here, I, I, I think it's from the world of pro wrestling, where Royal Rumbles were like the, the big showdowns wrestling. But it's, it's just a phrase. It's, I'm glad it's, we it's got just there. Words. <laughs> just words, word salad. Um, I'm glad I had the chance to ask you because yeah, now you, it's all clear. You teased it it's out. It's all become clear. Um, right. I also, oh, I have it's a kind of like jo- Geraldo Joella, with Al Capone's tomb Joella and Deed all that time. <laughs> all that build up In to your... Al Capone's tomb. And that is nothing. Sorry to jo- be talking over no, you. No, I'm Go saying Joel Embiid is Elijah is a note I have. <laughs> that was also that, extemporaneous. Uh, that the fanatic and gritty are Roman gods. <laughs> That's thank you for bringing the. Those were those were some of my favorite parts of the sermon. So the Philly fanatic and gritty as gods to be incorporated into the Greco-Roman yeah, pantheon. I, I love it. Did, we do celebrate them here in this household. <laughs> That's true. Did did that get any laughs? The gritty and Philly, Philly fanatic. No. Okay. <laughs> That's totally. Let fine. us know, Helen Wolves. Were you laughing at home? At were you laughing in your head? Smirked. The things I do for you people. <laughs> um, okay. But no, from my wife, no I'll take a smirk any day. Okay. Um, smirks. Smirks aside. Um, it's I a new shout it, out. Right. Is that it? <laughs> Instead of let's, shouts to Joel Embiid, it's smirks to Joel. Let's go to our encore. <laughs> we have we have one Helen Wolf. Uh, which I also have an explanation for. Oh, awesome. Text, so because, you do part one, baby. Okay. Um, we and this one's anonymous it was <laughs> it was written in um you said to write in i'm mm-hmm. on emily's side re-acceleration the song remains the same this was very mysterious to us i of course appreciate anyone who's on my side but i also <laughs> had no idea what you were talking about anonymous person right so in a commensurate but opposite way i i resent emails that come in either to 
jimatliberty.org or postsundayblues at gmail.com that don't take my side. So I was sad that this email came in in a particular way. <laughs> uh, but the good news is that I didn't remember the original context in which your side was being taken here. So I texted this person and said, hey, can you clarify what you were taking Emily's side about? And this person wrote in and said, of course, if I remember, it was that you were saying that events were accelerating and getting worse or is it just more of the same? And M, you said the song remains the same. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I am right about that. But that This sermon kind of proves it. Like you were just saying, like the Roman gods, like the multitude, oh. the pantheon. Right. Nothing new under the sun. There really isn't. I don't, I'm not too panicked about our society right now. Right. Like so I said, I am a millennial. Song remains the same. <laughs> Kind of like the who, meet the old boss, same as the old boss. <laughs> and with that, um, Jimmy, you also had some, you would, uh, some things about God showing up. Um, right, which was an email that came from last week. We said that we'd mention a couple of God things. And all feel free to yeah. to mention any God things sure. that that came up for you. But but the two categories for me, so where have I seen God God things in my own life? Uh, in these two ways, there are many more, but but two that I'll mention. And this goes back to Eric's ordination, just in a little bit of a nostalgia mode about where our church has been over the years. Uh, there have been so many, so many God things in the form of, and this is particularly true earlier on, uh, but even you know, during sabbatical and, and later, where I've been at emotionally and spiritually low points at terms of ministry, uh, but God will bring uh, the right people to our church at the right time. And so over and over again, uh, again, especially in the early days uh, where I was close, at least internally, to throwing in the towel and saying, hey, this just isn't working. But then, and, and I'm not going to mention specific names here, but I have specific names and faces in my mind that began to attach themselves to Liberty Collingswood and said, hey, we really like it here. We think this, yeah. we think this church is great. And on the inside, when I heard things like that, I'm like, really? Are you sure? <laughs> like, <laughs> Stop what, it. What's wrong with you? <laughs> why Why are you thinking that? Um, but totally God things, including when, you know, and it's not just Sunday morning, but including when we've had, when we would have some of those early and chaotic instances of Sunday morning where, it, at least to me, and the 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 exterior that I try to project is that I'm cool, collected, easygoing, nothing phases me. But on the inside, I'm a total wreck. On the inside, wreck you're when, the mad scientist when, who can't sleep. Yeah, when the when when the house is burning on a Sunday morning and everything is going wrong, uh, specifically those Sundays, people visitors will say like, "Hey, this this church is where we need to be. We 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 love what what you're doing, and we're thinking about thinking about hooking in." And and they do. Yeah. And so, and then also over the years where our church has been underrepresented in one demographic or another, and then having people where, like, they're, they don't have a lot of people in their same age and stage at Liberty Collingswood, but, but they sign up and say, if not in these words, in this concept, yeah, there aren't a lot of people like me at church right now, but I'm going to press into the biblical idea that I'll build relationships with people that are not like me because that's pleasing to Jesus and I can grow specifically from doing that 
And we want more people in this demographic to be here. They're not going to come unless there are some early adopters, and we want to be an early adopter to start building. And again, on the inside, I'm like, are you sure you want to do that? Like, there are other churches and situations that would be more fun, uh, other pastors that are better than I am out there. But thinking, but seeing people saying that this is worth it. So God thinks in that direction. And then I'll say as well, uh, marriage is an example um, where we've had low points. Us? (laughs) Marriage-wise, where where there were some rock bottom moments, but it seemed like God showed up in surprising ways. Uh, many of those rock bottom moments were a result of my own wrongdoing. Oh, so, only you, definitely but, uh, only you. But <laughs> but I think God has surprised us both by grace yeah. when it seemed like we were we were out of gas in different ways. That is true. Um, sweet of you to say. And no, I was I was a full player as well in creating rock bottom moments. Always fun times for that. Love you, baby. <laughs> um. I have done a lot of like pandemic reflections and I'm sure our audience has as well, but Mm -hmm. um, see kind of seeing God show up um, in a global sense um, for our communities, but also for uh, our family individually. Um, I think last night I was watching, taking photos for the dress rehearsal for Josiah's play. Mm -hmm. Um, Our oldest son is in a play. He was in a play last year. Last spring also, which was... Just uh, snuck in before pandemic. Right. Barely. One performance to parents only. And um, it became this, like, representation of kids pouring so much work into something and then it collapsing. Yeah. Like, not being able to pull off the actual performance. Um, Super, super sad. Um, But just to see that over the year, um, like, that we're, we're back, like... It felt very um, like a God thing to feel like, okay, we've been through this year. It was hard. I was anticipating it being very, very hard for Josiah, for our other kids. And it was. But there are some benefits. I've seen real growth in all of our kids um, as the schools have poured into them, as our church community has poured into them, um, as we have had more chances to sit and talk with them and pray with them and um, talk them through something that's really been a struggle. Um, I've seen growth in their hearts and growth in them socially and emotionally and Mm -hmm. growth in our relationships, I think, um, for society. Like, I think that the work at home, work from home model is going to be really important for people with young kids to be able to stay at home and work while their kids are sick or, um, any, any number of different kind of societal things that are changing i think that our sense of gratitude will have changed um i also was thinking about um how some of our kids struggled and then people from our church stepped up to 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 be there for them because um, yeah there were a lot of god things there. yeah you and i were kind of failing (laughs) i mean we were we were attempting but the you know kids don't always listen to just Right, mom and parents. dad's voice are not Somehow, the voices I'm not that are really always sure why, needed. But, <laughs> but God is showing the way up. Of things. Right, God is showing up by surrounding um, our family, our kids with um, community, both both inside the church and out. Yeah, right. So Unexpectedly expected that God's showing up yeah. in our lives, even around here. Yeah, good stuff. Um, so, if you want to share how God is working in your life, if you want to ask Jim. Um, questions about what keeps him up at night if you want to tell me that i'm right about things that jim is wrong about feel free to write in 
<laughs> that's postandayblues at AOL.com for that one. Um, Jim does have an AOL account, just FYI. <laughs> JC Anger at AOL.com. Unashamed. Um, but postsundayblues at gmail.com or you can write to any of our other email addresses if you know them. Yeah, my uh, goal is to be moderately accessible. Right. Tell us how we can improve this podcast to to uh, to speak to you to, um, I don't know, just make your... Make to your, engage. To engage. Um, to help to help us build continue to build community even in this post-pandemic world to make your week a little less blue and with that do you have anything else i'll just close it and say how was it (laughs) that was amazing thanks so much for joining us this has been the post sunday blues a preaching post-mortem production of liberty collingswood go ahead rate review and subscribe and you can find all things liberty collingswood at libertycollingswood.org no more post sunday blues here comes some pre-sunday happy okay i am ready when you are okay <laughs> sorry <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I was I was locked and loaded, baby. <laughs> no.